0: But the book of Esther is, of course, one of two books of the Bible named after a lady. Ruth, a four-chapter book, and then Esther, a ten-chapter book. Esther is is the only book of the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned not one time. Uh, God does not put his name in this book of the Bible. Most people believe the reason is, is because... God had already given his permission to, and then Darius had given permission, and Cyrus, for the children of Israel to go back to where? Back home. Back to Jerusalem. And that's where he put his name there. That's, that's, his, that's his country. That's his people. And everybody who stayed when they should have gone back, it was not God's perfect plan. They didn't, he, didn't want them to, he didn't want them to stay. He wanted his people to get back. I kind of wonder why people don't go and do what God wants them to do when he gives them liberty to do it. Most of the time it's because of convenience. Sometimes it's comfortability We' just like, you know, we, we get comfortable. No doubt these folks had good jobs. And, but you also see that God loved them. Even though they didn't do what he wanted them to do, he still cared about them. You see throughout the book of Esther, his name is not mentioned one time. Prayer is not mentioned one time. It's implied in one area whenever Esther goes to Mordecai and Mordecai challenges her. Hey, you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And he challenges her in that particular way. And she said, okay, I'm going to do it. If I perish, I perish. But fast for me. I'll fast. My maidens will fast. Tell the Jews to fast because he's, she's getting ready to see the king. It's a unique book of the Bible. You can't see God's name, and he's not mentioned one time, but he's all through the book of Esther. You can see him here, and the Lord, is, the Lord is teaching us things about that. I think probably the overriding thought in the book of Esther is that even when you can't see God, he's there. And he's very merciful, very gracious, very long-suffering, and, and that tells us, look, some of us say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I know God is gracious. Don't do that. Don't tempt the Lord to jealousy. Uh, obey him. The, the commandments of God are not grievous. They're good for us. And we have, it takes faith to leave our comfort zone and do what God wants us to do. And These people didn't do that. But we do find that God was very gracious in this way. However, let me give you quickly the story, if I can, and then several principles I believe that can be very helpful to us. It uh, it is found, the the, the story is found in Shushan, which is the winter palace for Persia. And Ahasuerus is the king, and he is not really a very good king. He seems to be very weak and very intoxicated, much of his kingdom uh, thing. he's, He's addicted to alcohol, certainly worldly but he is very wealthy, and and now whenever Daniel ends and and uh, that that in, ends, there's 120 provinces. Now there's 127. It's captured tw- seven more provinces the world around, and Ahasuerus is is excited. He brings in all of his leaders into Shushan in the winter time, and they for a, they stayed there for six months. And the last seven days, he adds a big drunken festival. He brings in alcohol and begins to intoxicate himself and all the men there. At the same time, Vashti, his wife and the queen, has a party for the ladies. They all, uh, they, they, they're, they're separate parties. And seven days into it, the alcohol has created lots of other immoral thoughts, no doubt. But Hazarus said, you know what? I'm going to have my beautiful queen come and show off in front of all these drunken men. She balked. She said, no, I'm not. I'm not coming over there and showing off in front of a bunch of drunks." And it ticked him off, made him very angry. As a result of that, the, king, the, the, uh, the king's leader said, hey, you got to do something about that. If, if they find out that she doesn't listen to you, my wife won't listen to me. <laughs> and you got to stop it. And, and they quickly, because of anger, he, he removed her from being the queen. Removed her from being the queen, and he uh, now is without a queen for at least four or five years. He doesn't have a queen. She's removed there. A couple of things I want you to know in the book of Esther that we can learn real quickly about is that alcohol complicates life. Alcohol is all through the book of Esther. And every time it gets involved, people's discernment goes away, challenges happen, Uh, The place, the Bible says, whenever uh, they signed a decree against the Jews that the king and Haman sat down to drink, but Shushan, the palace, and the community there was very perplexed. Alcohol complicates life. How many can think of a thing in your mind where alcohol is complicated someone you know and love? Anybody think about that? I certainly have. And I think about it all the time because it seems like it, it surfaces. And many times there are Christian men and women who were saved out of alcohol, and then their next generation of young people are trying to get back into it. And I believe it's a, abstinence is where God wants us to be on that thing without a doubt. And uh, it, there's nothing good that happens in it. Ask Noah how good it was. Ask Lot how it went for him. Ask anybody who drinks alcohol. It's, well, you don't, you just, it's, not a, it's not a forbidden to, to drink. You just can't get drunk. And they'll oftentimes argue that. But alcohol's an issue, and I won't argue that right this moment. Number two, anger limits someone's discernment. It limits limits relationship. One of the things, if you read the book of of Esther, you're going to find that anger surfaces. Indignation, wrath. The king has it. Haman has it. Different people throughout the time they have anger, and anger creates all kinds of problems and it hurts relationships deeply. It messes with your mind. That's why the Bible says in James chapter 1 the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When anger is upset, you don't do what is right. I find also that we find here that now there's no queen, and years have gone by at least four years, there's no queen, and his his uh, his servants say you got to get a queen, and they suggest that they solicit all the girls and and uh, the virgins. He's not moral, but he wants clean girls. It's interesting on that, isn't it? Kind of selfish, isn't it? Nonetheless, he solicits virgins to come from all over his province, and they come, and it becomes somewhat of a contest, come a, like a bachelorette thing or some kind of a contest, and. But interesting enough, there's a man in the kingdom named Mordecai. Mordecai is a descendant of Saul's dad Kish. He's from that lineage. He's a Benjamite. He has, he has been living probably for and maybe even born in, uh, in, the, in Israel in, uh, excuse me, in, in Persia. But he's been there. And he has a his his uncle's daughter, so his cousin Esther, we don't know this from the scriptures, but we do know that his mom and her mom and her dad are no longer able to be. Some folks believe his, his, her dad died before she was born and, and his mom, her mom died at childbirth, but he has nobody to take care of. Her. No, she has no one to take care of it. And he takes on that responsibility. I want to just say to you here, I think a lesson we can learn from Esther is we ought to be very sensitive to the people that God's sensitive of. He is sensitive to widows and he's sensitive to fatherless children and he's sensitive to the vulnerable. And I think all of us ought to be very sensitive to that. You ought to be very careful. And I'm glad that Mordecai, he could have said, you know what, I'm a busy man, I got all things to do, but he took this little girl and the Bible says he he raised her like he was his own. There that's why I love bus ministries because oftentimes people in the bus ministry are helping people who don't know what it means to be loved. I do not know. I just heard a tragic story just a few moments before I came out here this evening of a little girl who was taken advantage of by a, um, um, a lady's boyfriend, and just listened to her story and, and uh, finding out what happened, and just my heart is so grieved, so grieved. However, there was a man who stood up, and he, took, he stepped in when other people stepped out. A beautiful testimony. And things that we ought to do as God's people, James tells us, pure religion undefiled, is to bridle your speech. Number two, be benevolent in your spirit. Care for the widows and the fatherless in their affliction. And then to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You want to be a good Christian? Bridle your speech. Be benevolent in your spirit. Be a giving person. And then make sure that you are blameless in your separation from the world. That's exactly what happened there. Nonetheless, uh, this, young, this, this man knew that he had a beautiful girl. She was beautiful. And he enrolled her into that contest. She was immediately given seven ladies who would take care of her and a year to beautify herself, given her the best of hair products and the nail products and the clothes and, and and the cosmetics. A year each of them were given to get prepared to go and see the king. Interesting thing that whenever she came, All the other girls came with her, but the Bible tells us that the man who was in charge of the project, the chamberlain, the eunuch that was in charge of the project, project, he said said of her that she required nothing more than was given to her. She had a contented spirit. No doubt in some of these uh, pageants and things of that nature, girls become making think it's all about them. She was content with whatever was given her. She didn't want any more. She didn't ask for any more than beyond what was given to her. She had a contented spirit. In all the blessings that she had, she managed to keep a contented spirit. And that teaches me this. A contented spirit is very attractive to the, even the unsaved world. People that run around say, I don't like this. I don't get this. I wish I had this. Always wanting more, that itch for more is opposite. It's not very attractive not to God nor to others. But this girl, she, had a, she didn't desire any more, and the, the man in charge of the project said, you know what, I want to give her something better. He gave her a better place to stay, a better situation than even the other girls who complained and griped and were not happy. And then when it came time, to come to the king. The king saw the same attributes. Not only her beauty from the outside, but he saw the beautiful spirit on the inside of her, not knowing that she was Jewish. Her uncle would oftentimes walk outside of the house and try to find out what's going on and where she is and what the position was. But uh, the word got out. There was a new queen. And the kingdom rejoiced. They called a national holiday. He gave tax breaks to everybody. In honor of his new queen. Maybe we need a new queen in America. You don't know about that. Get some tax breaks, huh? And another holiday. Nonetheless, he, he got excited and gave him a great, great time. And now, uh, now time has gone by. Five more years have gone by. And there's another guy in command. His name is Haman. Haman is a descendant of the Agite or the Amalekites. Someone that Saul should have dealt with many years before. And now he surfaces in the story. The Bible is very clear to say is an Agite. He's a descendant of the king of of the Amalekites. And he is definitely anti-Semitic. He hates the Jews. But he hates them primarily because everybody else gives him allegiance. He's second in the kingdom. He's used to, to people bowing down and worshiping him. When he comes, stop what they're doing and get on their hands and knees and give him the obeisance that he, he felt like he desired. But there was one fellow who wouldn't do that and is really getting eating his lunch. It bothered him so much. He did not want, he wanted to find out what is it, what is this, who was this, why is he doing that? And he found out part of his reason for refusing to give him uh, admiration was that he was a Jew, and it really made him angry. Anger, once again, caused him to go to an extreme, not just to kill him, but to kill every Jewish person that he knew in the entire kingdom. He has inroads into the king, and the king, through several, no doubt, uh, alcoholic uh, rendezvous, he he encourages the king, there's a group of people in your kingdom that need to go. They need to go and they're causing problems. And he said, they're taxpayers, but don't worry, I'll put 10,000 talents into your account. We got to get rid of them. And the king signed it off and said, that's fine. He did something very unusual. He did something like rolling the dice or drawing a straw. They called it purr he decided, you know, from the purr, he just he said, when should we? He got with his cronies and found out, when should we make the day of execution for the Jewish people? When should we kill them all? And they, they did purr, which is a chance, like rolling a dice, and it came up on the 12th month. They were in the second month. So it'll be another, another 11 months, our first month, it will be another 11 months down the road, the 12th month, and on the 13th day of the month. That's why that's an unlucky day, <laughs> uh, number 13. Some folks even skip that on the elevator, won't stay on the 13th floor because of that. Nonetheless, on the 13th day, that would be the day they would exterminate the Jews. And they signed it off, and they, they were waiting. Well, when, the, when their message got out, that they had 11 months to live, and there's going to be a, a mass execution of the Jewish people in the world, and the 127 provinces. That's when Mordecai felt like it was time to do something. It was time to cry. It was time to pray. It was time to fast. It was time to humble himself. And he took off his royal. Now he is living inside the king's gate. Now he is a leader there. It's not, no longer on the outside looking in. He's one of the leaders, but he's certainly not the top leader. He's a known name in this area. One thing that had kind of happened whenever, before all this happened, is that one day he was in the gate and he found out about two guys who were trying to kill the king. Their names was Teresh and Than. They were chamberlains. They were working there, but they got upset with the king and they had made a plan to kill the king. It came to the years of Mordecai, he told his niece, the queen Esther said, you know what? If there's word in the street, there's two guys out to kill the king, there's a coup on on the arrival, uh, on the horizon. She she told the police, they investigated, they found out it was true and they killed the men. But nothing was done for him. He had saved the king's life, but there was absolutely nothing that came about on that situation. And that kind of teaches that later on it will teach us real quickly that sometimes There are things that you do what's right that you don't see the blessing right away. There are things that come to your your thing, you do the right thing, and it seems like you got the bad, raw end of the deal. And God's, one of his favorite tools to use in our lives is the tool of delay. He causes us to wait a little bit. In the book of Esther, we find that this man is is, uh, now Mordecai is fasting. He has humbled himself, and it bothers Esther. Some of the folks said, "Hey, man, your uncle's out there, and he's got sackcloth and ashes, and he's wailing, and he's crying." She sent out clothes for him and said, "Uncle Mordecai, get your clothes on. Don't don't do this. It's embarrassing. What are you doing?" And she got word back to her, he got word back to her. Hey, this is serious, and you need to do something about it. She said, "I can't do something about it. the king. I the king hasn't called for me in thirty days. I can't just walk in and see him." When I come to see him, if I don't get a reception from him, he'll kill me right then. If he doesn't lift that golden scepter and let me touch the top of it, I'm dead. And, his, and, his, and her uncle gave him a very strong, said, do you think that you're going to be spared from all of this? Think again. Remember, you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. One of the reasons you're where you are, we can see it now, you may be here to do something very special. That's whenever she asked him to fast and asked him to fast, she would fast. And then she said, if I perish, I perish. It's interesting. I want you to understand and we need to understand from the book of Esther that no matter who you are or where you are, where you live or, or what status you are, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you have the best of the best or you're working through some things, whatever you have in your background is a reason for it. God wants to use you. And I think all of us ought to wake up and, and, and take, take knowledge of why did God give me this much light? Why did God put me here? Why did he give me the gospel? Why did he give me a voice? Why did he give me hands and feet and, and a, an ability to think through things? Why did he give you the gifts he's given you? Do you think it's all just because of, of us or you? No. Everything God's given to us, he expects. He expects accountability. And there's going to be times and seasons where you need to step up and not step out. You need to understand that God's put you in the kingdom for such times as whatever it is you can do, whatever it is, God wants to use that for his glory and his honor. These are some things that we're learning from this passage of Scripture. However, um, Mordecai gets her attention and she now goes into mode after fasting and no doubt praying. Now she has wisdom and discernment. There are seasons of time, Christians, and I don't like to fast. I'll just tell you right up front. I like to eat. I like to sleep. I like to eat. I like to enjoy things that are, that are comfortable for me. Fasting makes me uncomfortable. Gives me a headache. In that first session especially, <laughs> I'm used to having things. I'm used to feeding myself when I'm used to laying down when I'm tired. I'm used to, not, to having what I want. But seasons of fasting, we found this in Isaiah chapter 58, is a reminder that it is season of fasting that you afflict your soul. You afflict the way you think and what you want and and how you feel about things so that your spirit can be sensitive to God. And when you're sensitive to God, you'll have more wisdom and discernment about what to do. Boy, this is something oftentimes, sometimes people will say, well, I don't know, I've got this big problem, I don't know what to do. I, uh, and I've asked them, have you fasted and prayed? And I, I can oftentimes say that I haven't done that when I, when I should have. But the fasting gave her some wisdom. She called for the king, and she went in. The king gladly received her. He put out a scepter, she put her hand on it, and she was able to take in uh, her, 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 her request. What do you want? Up to half the kingdom. Because really what I want is I want you and Haman to come to my house tomorrow for a meal. You got it. And she came. She had it all ready. He came. Both of them came. They were very honored to be there. And he couldn't wait. The king was saying, what what is it you want? I want to know. Most of us would have been quick to go ahead and tell what we wanted. But once again, the wisdom and discernment of timing. I oftentimes remind our church family of this and remind myself of this because we like to have things done right away, don't we? We don't like to wait. But God's one of his favorite tools is delay. And he knows what time it is. Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says, And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made to redeem them. I love that, when the fullness of time. You know what? God knew when it was time to bring his son. If he knows when it's time to bring the sun and all the annals of history, he knows what time it is in your life. He knows what time it is in my life. And our sensitivity to timing is very important. It's interesting here that Esther could have said, well, here's what I want to tell you. But something stopped her. And she said, you know what I want? I want you to come back tomorrow. And then I will tell you. Something in that conversation She said, I'll have you come for the first time. Then what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? How about this? Come back tomorrow. It wasn't time. And it wasn't time because something very important would happen overnight. That night, as they left that party and they left her, her banquet, Haman walks right by Mordecai. And Mordecai refuses to get on his knees and bow to him. And he just gets infuriated. And he goes home that night, and he meets his wife, and he meets his friends, and says, look, he goes, it's unbelievable what I have. I just left the queen's house. I'm going back there tomorrow night. I've been right there with the king. And he, and he puts four things that he has enjoyed. First of all, he says, honey, and friends, I have got possessions beyond my wildest dream. I never thought I would be this rich. He says, I have paternal blessings. I have 10 sons. I've got a house full of kids. And I mean, what more could you want? Rich and a house full of kids. But I have something better than that. I have got, I'm second in the kingdom. I've got a position. Then he says, and I have had privilege. I just left the queen's house. I mean, you talk about exclusive. It was just me and the king. He said, but none of it matters to nothing, as long as that Mordecai is in my sight. I can't stand that guy. It's amazing. He was willing to forfeit every he, all these things. One thing that was ticking him off, and he was, he said, it doesn't matter. All the stuff, this is nothing. You know, I think many Christians spend a lifetime thinking about a, a few things that have been done to them at the expense of a, Thousand things has been done for them. When you find someone depressed, ask them, tell me some things you're thankful for. <sighs> no, they can't think of anything. Nothing. There's nothing good. Well, I remember sometimes trying to tell them this. Pastor, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I've got some problems, man. Tell me all the problems they've got. And it's usually very small compared to all the blessings they had. Boy, Haman had some issues. Envy, jealousy, pride is going to be sabotaging his life. All the blessings he would have in his possessions, his paternal blessings, his his position, his privilege, all that, he says, nothing. And at that night, his wife and his friends said, you know what you ought to do? You're in with the king. Kill the guy. Kill him. Build a gallows in the back of your yard. And go in tomorrow morning and tell the king, man, this guy's ticking you off, and he loves you. Maybe give him a couple drinks to drink, and he's going to side with you. You'll kill the guy. So it's kind of interesting, but it looks like to me that Haman spent all night on a construction project, building a gallows in the back of his yard. What he did not know is the king was having a problem sleeping, but he wasn't building anything. He just couldn't sleep. And so he had his men come in and read some of the minutes of, his, of his, what his, his kingdom was about. And they began to read boring minutes because he thought he would fall asleep on it. But as they read the minutes of the business meetings and all the things he did, they recounted a time where Big Than and Teresh, two of the Chamberlains, that were hand-in-hand hand with the king, got mad with him and they had every intention to kill him. And then one guy, Mordecai, let Esther know, and Esther let the police know, and they found out, and investigated it was true, and they killed them. They executed the guys that were going to kill him. He said, yeah, I forgot about that. When did it happen? They told him when it happened. He said, well, what do we do for that guy, that Mordecai, that that guy? What do we do for him? And they said, no, there's no record of anything being done for him. He said, well, that's interesting. We've got to do something for that guy. Of all the people in the kingdom and every place he could have read about that night, he's reading about that thing. Isn't it amazing? God's providence, his love, his attention to detail. Well, they hear the, they hear the door rattling there and the king has stayed up most of the night. It's early 30 in the morning and someone's coming in. And the king's thinking, what can I do? I, I need to do something for that guy. Who's at the gate? He said, oh, Haman. Well, Haman will have an idea. I'll have Haman come in. Haman was coming in so he could get permission to kill Mordecai. Haman comes in. He said, you know, Haman has been thinking about something. What could be done for the man the king wants to honor? I got a guy. I just like him. He's great. I want to honor him. I want everybody in the whole kingdom to know I'm honoring him. And, of course, Haman thought, who would he want to honor more than me? He thought in his heart. That's another principle right there. For as a man thinketh in his heart, yeah, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. He said, who would he want to help more than me? He goes, well, I tell you what I would do. I just, I'd get the horse that the king rides on. I'd get the apparel the king wears when he really goes out. And, dressed, and I'd get his crown, I'd just put it on that guy, and I'd get another guy that you really appreciate in the kingdom, and have him pull him around the streets of, of, of Shushan all day long, telling this guy, the king loves this dude, he loves this guy. He said, that is one of the best ideas I've ever heard. Do exactly, don't hold back from anything you said, do that for Mordecai, and you be the guy that holds him and, and tells everybody that. You talk about something, we call it divine retribution. What comes around goes around. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Well, the Bible tells us that he had a bad day that day. Haman did not like it. And when he finished his job and he turned the horse into the stables and he put the coats back into the clothiers and took the the crown off Mordecai, and I'm sure with a snarl like, I can't believe this happened, he turns it in. The Bible says he covered his head. In modern day, that would mean you put on your hoodie, okay? (laughs) He put on his hoodie and he walked with his head down back to the house. He explained to his wife and his buddies who talked about that. He looks at this huge gallows, 75 feet high, in his backyard, and he tells his wife and his friends what happened. And they say, you're done. You're out of here. If that happened to you, you're in trouble, man. He said, there's something going on fishy here. Before they could figure out what to do with all that happened, the horn was (laughs) hawking. It was time to go back to the meal. They went to the meal, and he got out there, and he went to see the, the queen and the king. It had been something he was so honored to go to, and now his head is spinning. He's had a terrible day. And he goes in to see the, the king and the queen, and the king just said, I can't take it. I didn't know. What do you want? What is it you called me to do? And then she begins to tell her problem. He said, There's a man in the kingdom that wants to kill me, wants to kill my people. And uh, he said, who, who would want to do that? And he said, this wicked Haman. I don't know all that happened there, but the Bible says that the king was so flustered, he went out into the garden and walked around. He was so mad. In the meantime, Haman is begging for his life. He is begging for his life, and he finds himself and. Probably they're not sitting in tables and chairs like you would do in a meal. They're sitting on little couches and laying out. And he finds himself at the feet of Esther, begging for his life, asking for petition and intercession. And when he comes back in, the king sees him there and says, Oh, you want to force the queen? And before he could get that out of his mouth, they covered his head for the last time. And on the way out, one of the chamberlains says, Well, there's a beautiful tall gallows in his backyard. He said, Go hang him on it. Everything changed that night. It changed because God had a plan, and God preserved His people. Divine retribution is there. Lots of things we can learn. The conclusion of the story will end up that there has been a law that has been given. The law has been given. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. So it can't be. Re- it can't be revoked. You might remember when Daniel was put into the lion's den. It was the law of the Medes and the Persians that he could not worship any other god. He did it, and he had to go to the crime. The king tried every way. He got it with every attorney, trying to get it. Released. He knew that you can't release it. There's a law that was given. So it was not going to be possible for them. He quickly gives Mordecai the kingdom. He's number two in the kingdom. Esther is certainly, there's a lot of still petitions, she said, king, what can I do with my people? What can we do? Because we're just a few months away from them being exterminated from every province. The law has been given. So I can't change the law, but how about making another law? A law in which they can defend themselves on that day. If anybody wants to come against them on that day, the Jews are allowed to, to fight and defend their property, defend their person. Now they give a next law. A law that came by the grace of the king. When I think about that, I think about you and I. Without Christ, we are condemned to die. That first law, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul, completely understands us. We're in trouble. We're under condemnation. But aren't you glad there's someone who defends us in that second law? It's the law of grace. It's the king of kings. Lord, Lord, he brings another law that's better than the first law that spares us from eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. I'm so glad for that. As a result of it, of course, the the last part happens, and that is sent out. There's a lot of things that we could talk about. But we do find that Mordecai becomes very popular in the world. Let's look at it real quickly, if you would, please. We're looking at at Esther and uh, chapter number 9. Would you go to chapter 9? I want you to look at verse number 4. Read it out loud with me, if you would, please. For Mordecai was great in the king's house. His fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, greater and greater. Of course, that day came. That 13th day of the 12th month came. And when people who did hate the Jews, like Haman hated the Jews and wanted to exterminate them, came about, they could not. But there was an extermination done on the other side of that. Even in Shushan, looks like Haman had some leaders. 500 men were slain on that day who were anti-Semitic. Worldwide, 75,000 people died who hated the Jews, and God delivered them from that. And Mordecai became very popular world around, and it was beneficial to the king. I want you to notice the next thing that happened, and that is, every year after that, they would have a Feast of Purim. They have two holidays. It wouldn't be on the 13th. It would be on the 14th and 15th day of the last month. The Jews the world around would have a holiday just for them to remember the day that God spared them from extermination and gave them grace. As I think about this, I want to just say to you and I tonight, I think we can all learn several things from the story. But one of the most beautiful things about the story is that God is working when you don't see him. He's working in your life and he can make all things work together for good to them who love him, to them who are called according to his purpose. Don't doubt God's goodness. Don't doubt his long-suffering, his mercy, or his movement. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. Watching, waiting, and working. Let's pray together. Can we please?